Secondly, it was received by revelation. This was not some, like, uh, was it Joseph Smith that had the tables of stone that was given to him and started the Mormon church. No, Paul received a revelation inwardly from the Lord. Third, he was, says, he was called by grace, verse 13. Fourth, he didn't look for human confirmation or counsel. He resisted the Judaizers who wanted to circumcise Titus. We get that in the second chapter. He gets the right hand of fellowship from the pillars of the church. The Peters and the James and the Johns who seem to be, he said, something. They're they're men of note. They're esteemed leaders of the church. They didn't add anything to me. I didn't need to have a supplement to what the Lord had already revealed to me. I simply received a confirmation for that from them that what I preached, what they preached, was the same message. They to the Jews, me to the Gentiles. Let's shake hands, brothers. And they did. And Paul had a confirmation. They were basically saying, Paul, go for it with all your heart. And then right after that, he has to say that he had to stand up against what Peter in his hypocrisy laid as a bad example before the Galatians that he wanted to correct. So he's obviously establishing his authority before the Galatians. It's questionable sometimes whether an individual or even Paul, how could someone say that they're ordained by God? That the Lord revealed himself to them individually or personally. Jesus was questioned about John the Baptist. And Jesus said, John's baptism, was that from a heaven, from God, or was that from earth, from man? Was that of God or was that of man? They didn't want to say it was of man because everybody knew that John was a prophet. So that's something to take into consideration. A great light that shined from above. And you and I are described as being those that have been born, that word born again is somewhat misleading and needs to be adjusted in our thinking. It really means another kind of birth. The natural versus the supernatural. The earthly versus the heavenly. The one from the womb and the one from above. That's the kind of birth you and I have experienced. Paul wants to confirm that he didn't gain this understanding or this calling of his own doing. Matter of fact, he was a vile enemy of the church of Christ. And imagine that, that the Lord turned his life so far around that now he becomes a special vessel for the Lord. His conversion was... Hard to describe. Knocked to the ground, a light from above, a voice, and then directions of where to go. Let's look at, though, the criteria for an apostle. Because this is what's being stated here. Can I get the next one? Here we go. How do we test someone who claims to be an apostle? Here are some passages that are real important. My daughter the other day was watching something on Netflix about miracles in Bolivia. I don't know if anyone has seen that. Um, Not Bolivia, in um, um, where my daughter's from. Uh, South America, she is from... Brazil. Huh? 
Brazil, that's it. Miracles in Brazil. So she said, Dad, was it only apostles that did miracles? I mean, only Jesus that did miracles or did apostles too? Well, I sent her a couple of these verses uh, because I, and it seems to be practical for what we're talking about today. And let's look at these. In Acts chapter 5, at the very beginning of the church's formation, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. 2 Corinthians 2.12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience. Isn't that interesting? The first thing that's mentioned is patience. An apostle is just not a miracle worker. He's someone that's gifted by God to minister the word in spirit as well as in word. In, with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Next, 1 Corinthians 9, 1, 2. We're all familiar with this one. Paul says to the Corinthians, Aren't I an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? That's why we know that he's an apostle. He did. We were just reading about that in Acts. He had seen the Lord. Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? Yes, they have to attribute their conversion experience, their new birth, to the work of Paul's preaching the gospel to them. If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And then here in Hebrews, which may not and likely isn't written by Paul, but it's the same point. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to by those who heard, who were those that heard the Lord Jesus right here, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Those are the tests for an apostle and Paul meets the criteria of who is an apostle. Paul says in Gold right here, um, Acts 9.15. So how important is Paul to the Lord? Because it's obvious that he, writing three, 13 books of the New Testament, and the ministry that the Lord gave him as recorded in the book of Acts, makes him, if anyone should be the Pope, this should be this man, Paul. I, I, you know, I, I, was, I had a two and a half hour visit by invitation to be with the Roman Catholic priest this week, who said he'd like to discuss with me the book of Ephesians. Hallelujah. What an invite that is, huh? You want to sign up on a list if I get more opportunities like that? What an opportunity to go and talk to a Roman Catholic priest about the book of Ephesians. So in the course of our two and a half hours, he wanted to take me on a tour through the church and I think somewhat kind of proselytized me, but I looked at it as an educational reason for me to go behind him and follow him but one one picture that he stopped at was a a plaque on the wall as you enter into the sanctuary and it's a picture with starting with peter and it right goes right down the list and it's probably i don't know 40 or 50 supposed successes of peter starting with him right down the list i said where, where are the lady popes here i said to him by the way, if you know your church history, there were a couple lady popes, and there were some that were popes at the same time, so they weren't sure who would actually be the successor. So it's not as chronologically linear as, as it might, might seem to be. Well, anyway, the whole point of his is that there is a succession of authority that comes first with Peter and is handed down 
through the age of the church, through the bishops who then have the consecrational uh, abilities and ordained priests, etc., etc., and that's where the final authority comes from. But whatever, Paul here is the one who you could say is a chosen special vessel. As it says, the Lord said to him, that's the Lord Jesus, go, for he, he's saying this to Ananias, he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. What a wide ministry. We forget that. We think of him only as an apostle to the Gentiles. But it states here that he was also to kings. Name one of the kings. King Agrippa sticks out in your mind. He spoke among governors, those those in high places, and the children of Israel to the Jews as well. Where did he do most of his preaching? In the synagogues to the Jews, to the Jew first and to the Gentile. But nevertheless, he was in the diaspora. He was sent out, as we read in Acts chapter 22 by our brother Harrison, how the Lord said he sent them far hence unto the Gentile world. Then he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now, I want to underscore that, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Look at this verse, and I bet you have been puzzled by it, as many have. This is in Colossians 1, 24 and 26. Paul's the author here saying, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. Let's pause there. Has that verse ever stumbled you and saying, what in the world is that? How could Jesus' afflictions have been insufficient and something had to be added to them? It almost, what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body? Let's read on. That is the church of which I, Paul, became a minister, a servant, according to the stewardship with the Lord entrusts from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Let me quickly break this down. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. We just read, I'm going to show him the great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now that's not just the everyday sufferings that all Christians like you and I will go through because we're identified with Christ. Yea, all that will of godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3 verse 12. That's the common lot of all God's people. If we're raised with him to newness of life, we're going to be walking in his footsteps. And that means there's going to be a degree of reproach and suffering, etc. But this kind of suffering that Jesus says about Paul, he's going to, I have to show him the great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And this is how Paul is fulfilling what was lacking. Not that it was lacking in the finished work of Christ. Nothing to do with that. But Jesus' ministry, you could say, went only so far. It's like the runners in the uh, Olympics or races, track, that have the uh, multiple runners. What do they call that when they have multiple runners? The The what? The relay race, correct. So they carry the baton with them, right? And the other one ahead is ready to receive that baton. What are they called? Baton? Yeah, ready to receive it. You can see I never ran track before. My speed was so-so. Anyway, he received that 
from the Lord Jesus. The Lord only could go this far. It says in Romans 15, 8 that he was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. Jesus' ministry ended with the Jews in the flesh. Now he's passing the baton onto the one who's going to carry it further. That's what Paul means when he says, given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Fully known. He was going to take it steps further and complete what the Lord began. The word which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So when Jesus is risen from the dead, when we meet him in Acts chapter 1, what is he doing right in the beginning of the chapter? It says, teaching them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. So Paul was one that had this stewardship. I'm giving you the revelation. That's why maybe Paul had to spend so much time in Arabia. Like maybe Moses had to be 40 years in the backside of the wilderness before he saw the Lord in the burning bush. And then now he's commissioned to go before Pharaoh and say, the Lord has sent me. Paul too, I wonder what that life was like of Paul's when he was in Arabia, in hibernation, if you will, in meditation, in preparation for the great work that the Lord was calling him to do. Okay. Now, to the Galatians, again, he's trying to get the point across that I came to you, I was sent by the Lord who revealed himself to me and you are where you are because of the grace of God through me to you brought you to saving faith. And he's reminding them of this. You know that because of the infirmity of the flesh, what was that? I don't know. Uh, Paul was stoned in Lystra and if Lystra is one of those vicinities where the churches of Galatia were, he could be talking about the wounds that he had received from the stoning. Remember, he was stoned and they took him out of, dragged him out of the city for dead, and then he revived, came to life. Well, he may have been a wounded soldier. He may have had all kinds of bandages on his body. We don't know. Or some think he may have had eye infirmity because he had to write with large letters it mentions in one of the epistles. Or it could have been some other thing, the thorn in the, in the flesh that the, uh, that the Lord had given to him in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Whatever that was, the point he's trying to make was there was no outward appeal that I had to you. I didn't come across like a Saul, King Saul, head and shoulders above everybody else, a man of valor. No, as a matter of fact, it says that in bodily presence he was very weak. He didn't have rhetoric that was so impressive, didn't dazzle the audiences. He classifies himself who's someone that just simply came with a message of the cross. I preached the gospel unto you in the first time, you the first time, and you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition. In other words, it may have even been difficult for them to look at Paul, possibly, because of what, how infirmed he was. You know, sometimes people are so handicapped that we find it difficult, don't we, to like look at them too long. There was a gentleman that, I don't know if it's the same one that I've seen on various occasions, and it's very humbling. Uh, His face is like purple. His head is like twice the size of a normal size head. It's just, 
In his countenance, he looks monstrous, I could say. But he's a human being. And I've wanted to go up to him, and I don't know if I'd be out of line, but I just wanted to say that I love him, you know, and that I'm sorry. But I don't know the guy, and I just felt a little stymied by what I saw. But I thought, boy, I wonder if Paul, what did he look like to them? That didn't really matter. What it goes on to say, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Don't you remember when I preached the gospel unto you? You received me as if I was the Lord. He wasn't the Lord. They knew he wasn't the Lord. But remember Jesus says, He that heareth you, heareth me. He that despises you, despises me. In Luke chapter, is that 10, 16, I believe? Uh, He also says, He that receiveth a righteous man, receives a righteous man's reward. Well, the righteous man was viewed as one, as an angel of God an elect angel of God, or like Christ Jesus himself. Now, how they could distinguish the true from the false prophets, here's a, here's a very big divide between the two. Jeremiah twenty three sixteen. This is what the Lord Almighty says, Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds. Not from the mouth of the Lord. Their own minds. That's an example of a cult leader. Someone who's deceiving, who's misleading, who thinks himself to be something when he is nothing. Unlike the Apostle Paul. Let's look at a definition of what is a cult leader. And I'm, the reason why I'm going in this direction, don't read it yet. <laughs> the reason why I'm going in this direction is because you might say, well, is there any Pauls around anymore? Are there any more apostles? And how do I receive so and so? We'll get to that part, but I want to start at the extreme and say, what, what a cult leader is like. And this is going to be our topic for God Talk on Tuesday, by the way. We'll, we'll expand on this a little more. But cult leaders have a psychosis or a narcissistic, which means they love themselves, they're self-occupied, personalities that drives them to preach a message and convince others to follow. A cult leader is a person with dynamic and excessive charisma who persuades and convinces their followers to conform to their propaganda. Cult leaders often claim to have a special connection to God. They claim to be the point of contact between God and the rest of the group. I don't know how many of you have been in a cult, Somewhat there, there. I can say that I've been in a something like a cult. Though Christian, ironically, even a Christian body of people that would be maybe classified as church can have a cult-like leader in their midst who's got this kind of personality, but really has a psychosis and a narcissism personality that drives them to preach some messages and to convince others to follow. Usually they're very loud, they're very dynamic, they're very animated, like me. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, I I take that back, I take that back. No, but how, how then can we distinguish someone who really does have charisma and has personality and has a gift from the Lord? 
Be like the Berean searching the scripture to see whether those things are so. Isaiah 8.20 says to the law and to the testimony, if any man speak not according to this word, this word, it is because there is no light in them. You as a Berean child of God have to search the scriptures to see what's being said can be verified with the word of God. It's true the Lord has given gifts to the church for the for edification and the building up of the body so that we won't be deceived and carried about by every wind of doctrine. But we have to be discreet and discriminate. Sometimes I hear of people that are going to a certain church and I'm a little worried for what the outcome is going to be of where they're going. And I'm not trying to put any church down or put us up in any way. And I thank God that we have a church like this where we have multiple. I enjoyed Brother Marcus and Brother Harrison, both of them getting up here and sharing and Pat and Seth and so many more here that can handle the word. And uh, the scripture does tell us to be of one mind and one accord. So... That accord can't come perfectly. Uh, I, I remember hearing Walter Martin, who was here in Sturbridge in 1984, who was uh, a counter-cult ministry. He wrote the book, The Kingdom of the Cults, very important book uh, for the church. That he dealt with all the various uh, major cults. And he said this, quoting uh, Donald Gray Bonhaus, he said, if two people think identically alike, you can be sure that one of them is not thinking. So if you think identically like me, you're not thinking, okay? Or, or like Pat, or like anyone else in this room, you're not thinking. Because none of us, including me, even Calvin says that no one has more than 90% of all truth. You know, there's always room for, I think the reason for that is so that we can grow. They say about Reformed churches, the church that is Reformed is always reforming itself. So I hope that you and I have grown in our understanding of the word as time goes on and that we're more mature and that we're more competent spiritually and have greater discernment than we did before. So in conclusion, do I have another? Oh, yes, one more. Um, This is an example. Remember him, Jim Jones, 1978 or 9-ish? Remember, led the group of people, 900 and something, more than that, down to Guyana and uh, caused them to eventually drink the what we say the Kool-Aid. We use that expression, but it sort of was that, and they all perished. What a sight that was when you see the pictures, photographs from that scene. Look it up sometime, and, and I know there's been documentaries on this and so on. But what it's people like her, this poor girl, deceived into thinking that he had the answers for her life. Why is that? Because... People like her are insecure. They don't have personal assurance. They don't feel comfortable with what they know, so they lean heavily on someone else who says, I know how to take care of you. Just listen to me. At one point, Jim Jones, he's talking to a large group of people. He had large followers. It was a satellite church, as a matter of fact. They were scattered around. He took the Bible like this and cocked his arm like a quarterback on a football team, he threw the Bible into the audience. He says, you don't need that. You need me. Ah, Are you kidding me? Little does he know what he did. But people that would fall for something like that, I wouldn't think that a child of God would or could. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. We are expected, and this is what Paul wanted. He didn't want to make followers of himself. I believe it's even in this book, I can't remember off the top of my head, where he says, be ye followers of me, 
or imitators of me as I am of Christ. You know, when Jesus sent his apostles at the time of the Passover to determine where the Passover should be kept, he said to his apostles, go into the city. And when you go into the city, you'll find a man bearing a picture. Oh, take a picture of me. Uh, bearing a picture on top of his head. And the man with the picture, follow him, and he will lead you to where we will celebrate the Passover. We need to follow those who are carrying the word of God. It says in, in Hebrews thirteen seven about uh, those that have gone before, it says, who have spoken to you the word of God, whose faith follow. One of the wonderful things that I think keeps me and keeps you, keeps us more likely on the narrow way than going towards the lawless way or the law way is because we have good examples before us. And whether you conscientiously do it or not, I think you have, even in this little church body of ours, you have individuals that are models or examples to you and I so that we can follow them as they're bearing the picture of this is, by the way it says a picture picture of water picture of water beautiful picture of the word of God we should be bearing the pictures of water and expect that those who see us may want to follow that example and hopefully so because the more we're like Christ the more they're going to be like Christ and you know I love observing newborn Christians I love to see the way the, word, the Lord develops them, convicts them, and shows them ways that no one said anything to them. No one had to tell me when I got converted that I shouldn't be doing this or shouldn't be doing that. Why? Because the Spirit of God was in me and giving me an instinct, spiritual instinct about what was right and wrong. And then I had the confirmation from the Word of God as it is our guide and our map for life and how we should live in this present evil world. So here we are with the Apostle Paul informing his brothers and sisters that what he preached was not from man, wasn't taught by man, but was through the revelation of Christ. And he said to them, you heard of my former life in Judaism. I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. But the Lord had set me apart before I was born. The one who had the wickedest ways towards the people of God was now the one that was trying to provide the best way for the people of God. So therefore, if we might be looking for Pauls. We don't know where to find them. But we all are in some ways followers of the apostle in that he became an example for all those who should believe hereafter. And I want to just close with this. We all want to give, like Paul says, we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. We, all of us, should be a savor of Christ to one another and to the world. There should be something that marks us out as differently. In the workplace, in the schoolroom, in the, in the streets, in the markets, wherever it is, there's something about us, by God's grace, that helps us to be the salt and light of the earth. In a chapter... When I was reading on evangelism by Don Whitney, I love this example that he gives. And he talks about how, how to share the gospel, how to make the gospel to be what it really is for people. And he writes this, he says, 
living a life openly devoted to Christ manifests a power that augments evangelism. This power, strange as it may sound, can be illustrated, and listen to this illustration, by one of my favorite barbecue restaurants. Too bad Seth went out of the room right now. Its best advertising isn't the typical media variety aimed at the eye or ear. Its best advertising is directed to the nose. Now, I wish my smell came back from COVID totally, but it's not there yet. But they barbecue, this particular place, barbecue the seasoned beef and pork where its tangy smoke can waft across the four-lane highway. And everyday people driving by become interested in the message of the restaurant simply because of its fragrant aroma. Might we all be a sweet aroma of Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gospel of your grace that has reached our souls, that has birthed us from above. Lord, thank you that our lives can now be ordered by that same grace that saved us, can lead us on our life's journey so that, Lord, we can finish our course with joy. Finish the course, Lord, that you have set us on and not deviate to lawlessness or to licentiousness. Lord, help us to keep our eye upon you. And thank you, Lord, for the many sisters and brothers provide such wonderful examples that's working in them that is the same grace that is in me, that's in them, that, Lord, we might together be a sweet aroma of Christ. Hear our cry, Lord, and for anyone that doesn't know you, Lord, may they realize that their life is 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 lost, that they're that they're hopeless and helpless without the Lord the true meaning for life and life forever. We ask these things in his precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen.